In the words of the Apostle Paul from the book of Philippians, I thank my God every time I remember you. I thank my God every time I remember you. Melanie, Isabella, and I thank our God every time we remember you. We, we are so excited to be here. We've had one foot in one place and one foot in another place, and now we have both feet planted here, and <laughs> we're delighted to be here. Um, but saying goodbye to a people that we have deeply loved has been emotional, as you, as you can imagine. And I just wanted to say thank you for your prayers. Uh, text messages, emails, notes, you all have really prayed us through a very bittersweet time of transition. You, you know what that's like. Many of you know what that's like. And we, we just thank you. The whole process has been bathed in prayer, and we have felt the presence of God in our lives as we have yearned for this day. So I stand before you today from the depths of my heart, and I say I will continue to thank my God every time I remember you. We've saved all of your cards and notes, every one of them. In fact, many of the children from Huguenot Road sent our daughter Isabella personal handwritten notes as we were going through the last month or so. You will never know what that has meant to us. You'll, you'll never know. And we've saved all of the cards that you've sent to me, the middle school kids. Uh, if you all are in here, uh, thank you for your notes and uh, very uh, funny cards that you sent to encourage me as I was going through this process. We're just uh, very thankful. I think that's really cool that you took time to write your new pastor. So thank you. And the entire staff and uh, leaders in the church have been so incredibly gracious to us, uh, helping me, especially this past week, to kind of get my feet on the ground and figure out uh, new systems and uh, understand how things kind of work and get to know people. So uh, we're, we're, it'll take a little while to get settled in, but we feel very much at home. And we felt very much that way from the very beginning of our conversations. So over the next few Sundays, I felt God leading me just to share some of the ways that, that God stirs my heart. Next Sunday, the message is from John chapter 3. We're going to focus on that very familiar conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. And I'll talk about why I follow Jesus. And then the following Sunday, we're going to take a look at Psalm 133, and we're going to focus on being one unit. How beautiful it is when God's people dwell together in unity. Today, I'd like to share some of my vision of what a pastor should be and do. And our text, as you've heard it read, is the parable of the Good Samaritan from Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, I invite you to keep that open to that passage, and I'll make reference to it a little bit later on in the message, but have that available so that uh, we can uh, dive down a little bit deeper. I want to begin, though, with a personal story that really changed my vision for pastoral ministry. About a year and a half ago, 
I was able to have some sabbatical time and took part of that time and went down to the Cove in Asheville, North Carolina. Have any of you ever been to the Cove or are familiar with it? It's the Billy Graham Training Center. And Billy and his wife, Ruth Bell, a number of years ago, uh, felt uh, led to find a place in the mountains where people from around the world could come and have spiritual renewal and refreshment. And God led them to this beautiful mountain, and there is the cove. And so I took a, a time there just for personal retreat. And I attended uh, some sessions and heard a pastor preach and things like that. Well, one day I decided to go down to the chapel, which is a beautiful stone chapel on the side of the mountain, to have some quiet time. And the guide gave me a tour of the chapel. Ruth Bell actually had the vision for it. And all of the furniture, the pulpit, the pews, and everything in it came from old historic churches in England. So you can just imagine. I have the picture here of what the chapel looks like from the pulpit area. Now, if you look at the back of the slide, you'll see where a, a balcony would normally be in a church. But that's the prayer room. Ruth Bell Graham specifically said that she wanted a prayer room in the chapel. In the next slide, uh, you'll see is what the prayer room looks like. Uh, she had this vision of a place where people could come and kneel in prayer, praying specifically for Christian missionaries around the globe who were in areas of persecution. These were missionaries who couldn't tell where you where they were or, or even their names, but they're around the, around the globe. And the circular table has a lighted globe in the center of it, so you could really focus on that as you prayed. So I took my journal with me and went to the prayer room and kneeled there on the left-hand side, and you'll see there is a Bible open. Well, when I first came in and knelt down for prayer, the Bible was closed. And then after a little while, I felt the Lord leading me to open that Bible up. And I opened it, and it fell open to Psalm 78. And my eyes went directly to verse 72, which I'll read to you. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, and with skillful hands he led them. David shepherded them with integrity of heart, and with skillful hands he led them. For me, it was as if there were no other verses on that page except Psalm 78, 72. I totally and completely felt the presence of God. I stayed with that verse and just read it over and over and over again. I have no idea how long I was in the prayer room. After a while, I opened my journal and I wrote this prayer, which I share with you. Lord, may I shepherd with integrity of heart and may I lead with skillful hands. Amen. And this is how it appeared in my journal, the bold face and the underline. I wrote that in my journal. And then a few days later, I recorded another prayer that stemmed from my experience there in the prayer room. Lord, Please help me lead others, including my family, my church, and my circles of influence with knowledge and understanding. Help me lead with integrity of heart and with a skillful hand. 
help me be a fully devoted, help me to be fully devoted to God. Give me all knowledge and wisdom and help me lead others with humility, grace, and compassion. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that. It literally was in the mountains, but for me it was a mountaintop experience. I felt God giving me a renewed call to ministry that God was saying, Bob, continue to pastor with integrity of heart and lead the people with a skillful hand. And it would help me stay the course and continue to serve as pastor at New Highland Baptist where I served over 16 years. This experience for me was sort of like when a couple renews their marriage vows and they regroup after a number of years, maybe it's 25 or 50, and they gather and they repeat those vows and renew that covenant before one another and before God. That's how it was for me. And I'm thankful that that season in my life over the last year and a half or so helped to prepare me for what God has called me to do and be here at Huguenot Road. I'm very thankful to be here. Our family is delighted to be here. We know with absolute certainty that God has called us here to covenant together with you in ministry to the cause of Jesus Christ. A couple of words from that psalm. The word integrity that we, tr we translate as integrity means wholeness or completeness. I like the word transparency. Transparency. And the word for skillful hand literally in the Hebrew means understanding. And I pray that God will enable me to serve this great church with integrity of heart, transparency, and with a skillful hand, understanding in the years to come. So how should, when you think about that question, how should a pastor lead in today's complex church? You heard Amanda talk about this a little earlier, that pastor means shepherd, and that pastor leads, guides the flock. And, and if you think about what, what are your expectations of, of what a pastor should be. I like what Ken Callahan says in his book that I'm reading now, A New Beginning for Pastors and Congregations. He says this, A wise, caring leader is one who leads with wisdom and compassion, not power and authority. With wisdom you share solid vision, reasonable judgment, and common sense. With compassion you share grace, caring and encouragement. You help people discover power, community, meaning, and hope for their lives in the grace of God. And then Callahan writes, people follow a shepherd, not a manager. People follow a shepherd, not a boss. He says, pastor, you are not here to be preoccupied with power and authority, position and status, leverage and influence, nor are you here to be an enabler nor are you here to be a charismatic inspirer seeking to be the savior in each traumatic crisis. He says, Pastor, he says, you are here to lead. And I would add, to lead after a shepherd who is after God. Lead as a shepherd who is after God's own heart. So this leads us to the text for today. The parable of the Good Samaritan. And I would say that the Good Samaritan was a good shepherd to the man who was left for dead on the side of the road. You might not have read the text in this way before, and I hadn't read the text that way at the, in a number of times in my walk with Christ either. 
And then in doing some further reading on shepherding, uh, I came across a scholar who did some work in, in the area and took the Good Samaritan and showed how the Good Samaritan did, shep- did acts of shepherding. So let's, let's take the uh, text and I would just walk through some of the verses. You've already heard them read, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll just kind of walk through, starting at verse 20, 25. Uh, on one occasion, an expert in the law, he stood up to test Jesus. Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus didn't give him an answer. He asked a question. And he says, what's written in the law? What does the word say? And, and then he said, how do you read it? Or how do you interpret it? And then he answered, well... I know the answer to that one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, I know the answer to that one. That's a no-brainer. I know what the Word says. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. But then Jesus replied, do this and live. And Jesus here is helping us to know the difference between right belief and right practice. Right belief is orthodoxy, and right practice is orthopraxy. Yes, the lawyer answered correctly. He knew what the Word of God said. He knew that he was supposed to love the Lord God with all your heart and soul and all your mind and strength and all your mind. And then he knew he was supposed to love neighbor. He knew that intellectually. But then Jesus challenged him to put his belief into practice. And that's what's happening at the beginning of this text. And then the man wanting to justify, perhaps be selective in who his neighbor was. Maybe he had some neighbors he didn't care for. And he's like, "Uh, Jesus, I need you to tell me who my neighbor is because there are some neighbors I'd rather not serve. There are some neighbors I'd rather not love. So if you could just help me justify who my neighbor is, then I think I can do what you're asking me to do. Jesus didn't respond to that in the way that the man or that we would think and then but Jesus rather told a story that we know as the good Samaritan and then Jesus he says a priest and a Levite had passed by as this man had been beaten you can see the text he had been beaten and he had been left for dead aside the road stripped of his clothing and the robbers went away and then a priest happened to come by and for whatever reason the priest walked by on the other side of the road. And then a Levite, one of the other um, religious people, came and walked right on by on the other side of the road. And then Jesus in verse 33 says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And the Samaritans and the Jews were enemies for a long, long time. Religiously, culturally. A Samaritan would have been the least suspecting person that Jesus would talk about in the text, but that's exactly the story that he tells, this lawyer. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him. He said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. You can infer from the text that the Samaritan was a businessman and that he probably had some resources and he was able to pay to have um, the room and board paid. And the NIV study Bible text note says that that was enough money perhaps 
to cover two months of rent at the end to give the man time to heal and then get back on his feet again. So the Samaritan man healed, helped bring healing. He guided him to a safe place. And then he sustained him for perhaps two months financially. Helped him get back on his feet again. And then in the last part of the text, Jesus then asks a question to the lawyer. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy or compassion on him. And then Jesus says, go practice what you believe. Go and do likewise. Put your faith into practice. And the model for you to care for your neighbor is this Samaritan man. At the heart of the story, the Samaritan is a shepherd to the injured man. Verses 33-35 through 35 reveal shepherding acts that we see in other places of Scripture. The Samaritan saw the man. He could have walked by, but he saw the man. The, the Samaritan had compassion. He, his heart broke for the man. What breaks your heart? What keeps you up at night? What brings tears to your eyes? What do you see in the paper? What do you see in the Chesterfield community? What do you see in our schools? What do you see in your own neighborhood that causes your heart to break? That's compassion. And that Samaritan man had compassion upon the man lying beside the road. He stopped. And he bandaged the man's wounds. Put oil and wine on for healing, medicinal agents. And then guided him to an inn. So you see, healing guiding, and then he sustained him. The Samaritan man stayed one night, went on his way, and then paid enough money for maybe two months' rent in the, in the inn. Notice that that sustaining did not create an enabling relationship where the injured man would cease to take his own responsibility and come completely dependent on the Samaritan to fund everything. Uh, that doesn't happen. The Samaritan man did what he could and then he went on his way. So there was a point at which his care stopped and the man had to be responsible for moving on. Uh, and in a moment we'll see that we can't fix everything. But we are called to do what we can do with what we have. So in telling this story, I believe that Jesus reveals some very fundamental responsibilities of shepherds. And I draw from these as I seek to pastor the flock of this church. Healing. Psalm 23. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. Guiding. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Healing. Guiding. Sustaining. The Lord is my shepherd. I've got all I need. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint with my head with oil. My, my cup pours over, sustaining, healing, guiding, sustaining. These are shepherding acts that we see embedded in the story of the Good Samaritan. And I believe that Jesus, the Good Shepherd, tells this story so that we might have an example to then go and practice, to bring, bring right practice, putting our faith into action.
And so with this model in, in my heart, I look forward to serving as your pastor and your shepherd here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. Through God's grace and yours, I will seek to lead with integrity of heart and with understanding. I will seek to shepherd you and others who come and others who are beyond these walls to the one who does the healing, the guiding, and the sustaining. I'm just a tool. I'm just a person God uses to help point others to him. His name is Jesus, and he's the good shepherd. And he said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So you might be thinking, all right, Bob, I'm not a pastor. I haven't been to seminary. I don't have a lot of theological education. So how does this apply to me? What am I going to do with this at school on Monday? Let me offer some challenge to us as we, as we think about it for this week. The question, it's, and I'll ask a question. Where, where do you spend most of your time each week? Think about it for just a moment. Where do you spend most of your time? You got it? Let me suggest that you're the pastor of that place. If you're taking notes, you, the pastor of that place. You're a Christian and you're in an environment, whether it's school or work, in your neighborhood, in the community, or your sports team, your music group. Perhaps as a believer, God has embedded you in that area, that circle of influence, that you're the pastor of that place. People can look at you to care for them in some way. With God's help, number one, you can be a source of healing to others. And that healing may be simply praying for a friend whose grandparent is in the hospital. Or praying for someone you know who is sick. Or you can tell one of your friends or co-workers, our church has a prayer chain and I'm going to be sure to put that request with your permission on our church prayer list. Healing. Number two, you can help to guide that person to a safe place. An example would be someone who is in need of recovery. And you may, you may know that our church has a 12-step group that meets here. And you may be able to point that person to, you know something, my church has a group that meets, isn't it Monday night, perhaps, that uh, they could come and find a safe place and, and begin that recovery. You can guide people to a safe place. Maybe it's just guiding them to church or guiding them to a, a way they can get help if they're really troubled. And third, the way that we can help be the pastor to that person in that place is to do what you can with what you have, knowing that we can't fix everything. We'd like to, but we can't. Do what you can with what you have. Use the resources God's given you to do the best you can with what you have. But know that God's the one who is in, in control. We, we, we aren't. We just do what we can, when we can, with what we have. And then fourth, empower, don't enable. Uh, create and maintain healthy boundaries and relationships. And, and like the Samaritan did, uh, the Samaritan did not buy the injured man a house. He didn't put him up for six months or a year. He paid some 
money to help him get back on his feet. And then the Samaritan went on his way to take care of his responsibilities. And the injured man, once healed, could move on and begin to take responsibility for his life. So I say all of this to help you and me both know that we are all ministers, pastors, and God sends us to our flocks every week when we leave church. We go to a circle of influence, and that is our flock, and perhaps we can be the pastor of that flock. What does that look like? One day a couple showed up at our former church. And I met them after worship and heard a little bit of their story. Nancy's dad had just died and they needed to get back to church. She just felt this desire to get back in church. They had slipped away. And Scott had kind of tagged along. And they came back the following Sunday. And then they came to one of our Wednesday night Bible study groups. And in the Bible study group, Scott shared some of his deep concerns. Uh, He had some struggles. A lot of questions about God. And somebody said, you ought to talk to pastor. And with permission, I received his information and I actually called him and we set up time and we met for lunch at Panera. And he shared that he was kind of agnostic and he We shared a lot of things. And then towards the end of our lunch, he looked at me and he said, don't ever expect me to let you baptize me. So I looked back at him across the table and says, don't you ever expect me to give up trying. I learned that he played pool and I enjoy pool. So we started playing pool together in his game room, sometimes out at pool halls. And in those conversations, just got to know each other better. And maybe a year or so later, Scott presented himself before the church on his profession of faith in Jesus Christ and desire to be baptized. Scott would eventually become a deacon in the church. And then one day, a member of his pool league was diagnosed with cancer, and it was very quick. Scott asked me if I would visit her in the hospital, and I did. And then she went home under hospice. And then one night, I got a call. Bob, can you come? Scott said, things aren't looking good, and I said yes. So we went to the home and prayed with her family. And shortly thereafter, her husband Paul called me and asked if I would lead her service. And I happily did. And the bereavement team from our church provided a wonderful reception in their home after the service. The Holy Spirit spoke into Scott's life and changed his heart and Scott allowed him to use him to bring the presence of Jesus Christ into his Sunday night pool league and they started calling him preacher but he was more than a preacher. He was their pastor. May it be so with you in your circles of influence.
Please pray with me. Almighty God, thank you for this day and this appointed hour and this passage which helps us to see how we can be influential wherever we go, wherever you lead us, that we can make a significant impact on the lives of others around us. And as we pray, if you're not a believer in Christ and you're still seeking God, I pray that you will allow Him to be your shepherd. Allow Him to bring healing and guidance and sustaining in your life in every sense of the way and word. All you have to do is is ask Him to come into your life and make all things new. And He will. If you are a believer in Christ, I pray that you will yield your life and your every day to Him. That you will let Him be Lord over the way you spend your time and where you spend your time. And if people might call you preacher or some other kind of tag name, over a period of time, maybe they'll be able to call you pastor. Hear our prayer, O God, in Jesus' name.